fashion. This is all in for the love of the game. This is Love Set Match. Andre Agassi had this goal, you don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court. Like, you have to be better than someone that's across the net. I think you got to stay active in a sport sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe you're more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to give you a good feeling too. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Tennis Bow Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. I'm your host, Philip Kim, also known as Coach PK, the tennis pro for the Langham Huntington Hotel in sunny Southern California. And I am super excited that I have my co-host, Valerie, with me. She's back. How are you, Valerie? Hey, Philip. Um, I am doing much better. Thank you. <laughs> doing good. Well, lots of prayers and support went out for you. Tell us how, how it was for you. I appreciate that. Um, it was fine. It was fine. I mean, it was um, very strange, honestly. Mostly, it was just impossible to stay awake. And it was like a nagging head cold or something that just lingered and basically put me out. Um, yeah. How long were you out? Uh, for sure, like maybe eight or nine days of just feeling like I couldn't stay awake. Wow. Um, but thankfully all the other symptoms were very mild, you know, just like a little headache here or there, um, stuffy nose, head cold type of stuff. But, um, I don't know. There was one day we had a beautiful thunderstorm down here in so beautiful Southern California. Yeah. And I was out sick that day. And so I just opened all my windows and laid and napped in between thunders. So it was, it was really nice. <laughs> was that the day where like thunder was rocking the whole world and it felt like super loud and every, it felt like an earthquake? Well, I don't know if it was rocking the whole world because I wasn't listening to international news, <laughs> but <it> was certainly <laughs> rocking the, the all of Southern California. Um, yeah. Actually... Actually, I heard a really sad story about um, someone um, in Whittier who got hit by lightning walking her dog and did not make it. But it was there. Yeah, there there was like lightning and thunder going like crazy. I uh, couldn't believe how loud it was. It actually started early in the morning, woke us up and mm -hmm. it continued pretty much throughout like the the morning. Yeah, almost almost throughout the day, I think, because I didn't work, and I feel like it was from, like, 2 a.m. to 3 p.m. Wow. But I just sat there. I, yeah, it was so loud. It was great. I was loving it. <laughs> <laughs> I put on Twitter that I thought it was so L.A. to do, like, thunderstorms to promote the new Thor 4 movie, you know? <laughs> totally. I didn't even know that was coming out, but it makes sense now. <laughs> I thought it was a totally promotional stunt or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'm grateful for it. We don't often get lightning and thunder and that type of uh, show, na like natural show down here. So it was so unusual. Yeah, it felt like the end of the world or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Very. Yeah, biblical. I mean, uh, did you get to play tennis at all that day? No, no, because it was raining too. I think, and yeah. so because it was raining, I thought, oh, the courts are wet. Of course. 
Yeah, I wasn't sure because um, it poured at my house like a couple times. Yeah. But but it never poured in Walnut where my family is, so I wasn't sure. Oh, so strange. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're on the mend and that you're feeling so much better. COVID has been terrible for us here in Los Angeles, and the, the numbers keep going up, keep going up. It gets me more and more uncomfortable and afraid. But uh, I'm glad that you survived and you're feeling a lot better now. Thanks. Me too. And so much better that you actually played tennis today, right? Yes, I sure did. Now my biggest problem is that I had to ice my wrist because it was very sore. <laughs> oh, no. Was it your slicing and dicing game? Uh, actually, today I told myself no slicing and dicing, and that's probably why my wrist hurts so much. <laughs> I spent the whole day like uh, focusing on just hitting the ball like you're supposed to instead of pretending I'm on Jabor. <laughs> even though even though I played junk ball way before she did. No. <laughs> well, I wonder if you need to change your strings because, you know, old strings can really do that to your wrist, shoulder, arm. I'm sure that I do because I think I haven't had them changed in probably eight or 10 years or something really crazy. No. But oh, don't say that. Yeah, I'm sure it's years? something really... Years, did you oh, say? Oh, yeah. I mean, I bought the racket and then I got it strung. And I think it's like ten, at least 10 years old, probably. So Yikes. Um, all my equipment is quite old. But also, <laughs> like, I just have a bad wrist anyway. So even uh. if, I, if I play the drums, if I do anything kind of... Sometimes after work, like, I have to use a mouse with my left hand. Um, on a computer because my wrist is just bad, you know, so. Wow. Well, how was, how was the match? Tell me about playing with your friends and how did that go? It was nice. It was really good. Uh, we played in the morning, so it was nice and cool still. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I was, um, I was actually a sub for a doubles team. So, um, cause one of the players had to leave early. So I just came in at, uh, Oh, we were four two down when I or two four down when I jumped in, <laughs> and I think we we ended up losing like a six four or six three or something. Um, but then and then I played a single set after that um, with one of the ladies, and it was it was a lot of fun, and I really particularly enjoyed it because I because I did tell myself like don't slice and dice everything. Like um, let's just try and get some real hitting and consistency and. Because that's that's what I really what I need. And actually, there was um, a father and a son playing. Yeah. So we just kind of like asked them if they wanted to hit with us for a while, and and so they did. And the twelve year old kid was oh he was phenomenal. It was really fun. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Which do you mind sharing which park you were playing at? Uh, I was actually playing at a tennis club in um, Diamond Bar. So ah okay. Yeah. Very nice. Um, yeah, and it's actually like a, the type of tennis club that's in a residential. So only people who live in that, I think, like HOA can join. Uh -huh. So like even if I want to join the tennis club, I can't. Right. Gotcha. So, you have yeah. To, you have to I buy can property. Only yeah, I can only play there when um, the organizer is there, the wow. tennis organizer. <laughs> and did you find uh, this match through Tennis Pal, or how how of did course, that happen? Of course, I, f I find all my tennis friends through Tennis Pal. 
<laughs> well, let me just remind our listeners that you know Tennis Pal Chronicles is sponsored by Tennis Pal, the best app to find people to play with, and uh, they can visit tennispal.com to download the app and tell us about your experience using the app and finding these people. Yeah, the experience was great, Philip. I love the app. I usually, um, I know that you could put out a ping. Uh, and just like let people know, hey, I want to play tonight, and it can oh, go yeah. to everyone in your area. I don't particularly do that, although I see how it's much easier because you don't have to send 15 different messages. But what I like to do is I go through and I just do like a search, and I set the days that I could play, um, the the distance that I'm willing to travel, and then uh, like the MTRP, or I think they use UTR, they actually have both um, guidelines there for you to, to decide how to set it. And then I set the type of um, level of player I'd like to find. And it brings up, you know, all the search results. And I usually like um, to go through and just look at their profile and see what type of person they're looking for. If they're looking for um, competitive sets or just, you know, rallying things like that. And then I kind of just will send individual messages. Hey, I'm looking to play this weekend. Do you think you'll be around Saturday morning type of thing? And yeah, just go from there. And, and I have several conversations going with people. And um, a lot of times it's it's hard because somebody will be like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. And then I'm like, oh gosh, Wimbledon's on. I can't do it now. You know, like or right. that day, so right. something will come up. But the great thing I love about Tennis Pal is that there's so many people. So like there's always someone I can find who could play when I when I want to play. That is so great. You've you've had the best experiences with tennis bell because a lot of times I actually send messages to people and I don't often get um, you know responses as often as I would like or not as often as you. I think I think it's because you're like a super cute girl. That's why. Well, I don't even have a, my picture on there. But at least actually- it's, it says Valerie, though, right? It does say Valerie. Probably. I'm going to change so, my actually, name to Phyllis. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, there you go. I don't actually know if it has my name on there. It might have like an alias, but uh, I am wondering if I think we've had this conversation before because you might be set up as coach status. Right. So maybe they're just like because I have had people where I have actually um, set up a, a rally and then we go rally and they're like, I'm a coach. Next time, you know, we, we rally, it's 40 an hour or whatever. And I'm like, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe uh, someone, maybe someone has had an experience like that. And so doesn't want to hit with a coach or, um, well, I'm sure you're looking for people who are maybe closer to your level, but if it was me and I saw somebody who was, you know, 4.0, 5.0 or a coach, Things like that. I I wouldn't want to play with them. I would feel a little, um, maybe intimidated or <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. why does this person want to play with me and chase my balls going all over the place? Like, <laughs> 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 um, I wonder if you're just having that type of discrimination, or I don't know. I also I ping a lot of people, right? So I might send out fifteen, and I might get three texts back. Nice. Um, but in those three texts. Yeah, I am usually able to, as long as I'm persistent. It does seem like I do have to kind of persist to get people. Um, otherwise, they're probably just like me, and they're busy, and they're and they're not going to go out of their way to make it happen. Right. 
Well, <laughs> well, I just am so happy that it works so well for you and that you are able to find people very easily. I think you remember I interviewed someone who was from Chicago and she actually called it, her name is Tram. And that was like four episodes ago when we did our Roland Garros preview. And so people can take take a listen to that interview. But she actually called it the Tinder of tennis apps. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, at least for, for her, she gets a lot of requests as well. Uh. <laughs> That's funny because actually, you know what, um, at least in the L.A. area and with the people that I've talked about and um, not to out myself, but I have used Tinder before. <laughs> and what I have found and what I have had others share with me is Tinder sounds a lot like the experience you're, you have with Tennis Pal where people want to like, uh, they really want to text and have a pen pal, but then when you're like, "Hey, okay, so when are we going to meet?" They're just like, "They're they never want to meet." Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think yeah. I just get the swipe left or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't even get the first message. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, you maybe. Well, uh, let me check. Take a look at your profile. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, seriously, check it out for me. Help me out. <laughs> I mean, I do get some responses from people, and, and I have met with people and hit and had had a really good time. So I know it is possible, but I mean, compared to how many, how easy it is for you, which is awesome. And I just hope that it's that easy for everyone else because it is just the greatest app and a super great way to meet people. It is great, and I I tell everyone about it. You know. Yeah. Anyone will, who will listen. Uh, in fact, I was actually really sad because I, in hindsight, I wished I would have planned better and like made a t-shirt and wore it at the French Open oh. and, wore, and wore it at my Wimbledon tour yes, and stuff yes. like that so that, you know, who knows? Like I could have been a conversation starter and what if I could, you know. Yeah. You just never know. So Right, right. Oh, That's well. True. Next yeah. time. Now I have a reason to go back. So... <laughs> Well, now I've been dreaming of going to Wimbledon ever since, you know, our last episode and you talked about how much you enjoyed the Wimbledon tour. And of course, since then, we've actually experienced Wimbledon for 2022. So it just made me think about you the whole time I was watching the tournament. Yeah, and it was such a different, um, it was so cool because like, as I'm seeing them do their wide shots of the grounds like I was like oh yeah I was there oh I know that oh I yeah you know like everything was recognizable so it was just it was cool I felt like I was part of the in club yeah how cool well let's talk about Wimbledon because that's the subject of this podcast and I specifically was super taken by Elena Rabakina and I just felt like wow she she was the surprise Cinderella story of the of the whole tournament I felt like her playing really excited me as I watched her play and her mental toughness and, you know, the whole thing. And uh, I, I didn't really care so much about the, the men's match as much as, you know, it was great tennis and there was a lot of drama. I, I, I felt like um, yeah, I wasn't as excited as the women's match. How, how did you feel about the whole thing? I mean, I was pretty excited about both. But I was definitely more excited about, so the women, I was like, either way, I'm going to be happy. I like both of these players and they're going to make history and it's going to be a great story and I can't wait. Um, and then I was like the flip side with the, with the men where I was like, 
I don't like either of these players. (laughs) I want them both to lose. No, I don't know who to root for. (laughs) That's how I felt. I actually tweeted something um, right around that time. I was like, it's so sad that tennis for me is who annoys me the least, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was it was some it kind of reminded me sometimes of like elections in the United States where you're like just oh who's who's not going to be as bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean I shouldn't say I don't like Djokovic because I really do like Djokovic. But as a Federer fan, I can't just outright root for someone to pass him. You know, right, right. now that it's uh, now that he's passed him, like it's fine. The the band aid's been ripped off, and I could feel a lot happier about rooting for him and, and Nadal like to just keep going and witness his history. But as long as they were tied, I just, I couldn't bring myself to be happy about him passing him, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to do a deep dive into the Grand Slam champion, the life of Elena Rabakina. Uh, are you into that? Do you like that idea? Yeah, go for it. Super cool. I mean, I just was really taken by the whole uh, women's setup and all of the different opportunities that could have happened. And I think it really started with Serena, your girl, because I think everyone was really excited about Serena, kind of in a surprise turn of events deciding to play, right? And she took a wild card to come in. Mm-hmm. So that was really exciting to see her come and try to play. But the match itself was a train wreck. My gosh, it was really, <laughs> it was really hard to watch. Uh, yeah, it was really hard to watch. But you know, Harmony Tan. Yeah, Harmony Tan. Exactly. Okay, I'm like, I don't know why I couldn't remember her name. Uh, she she plays like me. She just was a junk baller out there, just like <laughs> a little gamer, and just making Serena just so uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, and so interesting that it was almost like an omen for Ons Jabur that Harmony Tan was able to take out Serena Williams, you know, because it was like, here's grass, here's a, a girl, and yeah, a lot of junk, right? A lot of um, slice and drop shots and, and kind of lobby balls, a lot of movement all around the court. It was pretty impressive. Kind of an interesting story about her that she is French, uh, even though she's of Chinese descent, that she actually was raised and trained in in France. So really interesting dynamic of cultures there, right? Yeah. Uh, And loved, loved the fact that she, you know, held her nerve and she served really well in a lot of times where you know, she really, I thought she was just going to lose. And Serena took the second set 6-1. I mean, I really thought, okay, here she comes. You know, let's do this. And it was very close to the very end. It was a tie break. And Harmony Tam was just able to pull it out. But I tell you, the whole time, even if Serena had one, I was like, wow, Serena's not getting past some of the higher players because she could not move. It was really sad. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to watch. Hard to watch. And yet, even though it was hard to watch, I was rooting for her, rooting for her. You know, come on, Serena, come on. Super underdog. You know, I don't want all of our champions to to pass us by. You know, I don't want that era to end. Yeah, it's just around the corner. It's it's It can be, it's like harrowing. Um, <laughs> what I think was really frustrating me is because Serena was not moving great, but she's kind of not been moving great for the past few years. Yeah. Um, but she, her serve, I'm like, you're at Wimbledon, girl. You should have been able to serve That's your true. way out of this match. 
you're not playing some amazing returner who's like six two with all, like a great wingspan. Um, I, I was really disappointed that she couldn't serve her way out of it. Like the greatest serve possibly in the men's and women's game, like that the sport has seen. Yeah. Uh, and didn't do enough. And I would help. even add to the fact that she is also one of the greatest women's returners of the game. And yes. Harmony Tan at one point was like serving 68 miles an hour. Exactly. <laughs> it was like, I really felt like, wow, that's like my serve right there. <laughs> well, remember how she used to cream the heck out of Sharapova's serve? Right. And she right. just beat her so bad because um, she would just break her serve like it was nothing. I just, yeah, it was great point i was so surprised she couldn't break her yeah like just at will like it just yeah you know but so it i is guess what it is <laughs> it is what it is i'm so sorry for serena and you know she, she'll get over it. but i think it was like the first time that she had lost in the first round uh for many many years so it was very kind of epic that she did lose the first round it's always tough right to to lose the first round that's the the hardest yeah to have that early exit is so devastating but so i felt like that was an omen like oh this is grass here we are grass this is not about like hard-hitting tennis this is really about you know the trick shots the drop shots making people move uh, getting down low and i felt like that was kind of a a hat tip to owns jabber who you know ranked number two in the world you felt like uh, with Barty out of the way, she really had a chance to, to you know, take grass and make it her own. And of course, I expected Iga Swiatek to win, right? I mean, I really was like, w- what happened there? <laughs> well, she's definitely not a grass court player, and right. she's not comfortable on it. But I, I also just thought like, this is when she's just going to learn to become a grass. She'll work her way into the tournament, and before you know it, she'll be a gr- grass expert. You know. Right. And so, yeah, I was really surprised as well. I mean, obviously the whole tennis world probably was, but, um, but hey, that was probably when it was really cool too for Ons is when once Ego went out, it was like, it was on for her, you know, all eyes on Ons. And it did feel like that. It felt like everything was set up for Ons Jabur. It felt like this was her time. This was her round. And I thought it was so interesting that even like right after the French Open, she was already saying like, I'm going to win Wimbledon. (laughs) You know, it was like, wow, that's a lot of chutzpah, you know? Yep. Not like I'm going to do my best to win Wimbledon. I think I like my chances. That's what Djokovic says, right? He always says, I like my chances. Yeah, she really made a... She was, like, manifesting hardcore, and I think she actually even told her whole team, like, back in January, like, Wimbledon is the goal this year. Like, I'm going to get it. Yeah. And so she just spent the whole year thinking, like, this was her year. She was going to get Wimbledon. And it started to feel a lot like fate, you know? Like, wow, it is fate. She knew. Like, she envisioned this. And then, uh, I don't know, even in the the final, there was a while where you just thought it might happen. Right. Um, But it did not. (laughs) I, I just was wondering, did did that manifestation and that predicting and all that, did that come crashing down on her in the middle of the set 
you know, because the expectation was so high. And I think Rafa Nadal is the master of this. He just keeps lowering and lowering the expectation, you know. <laughs> like, I keep harping yeah, on the fact I'll that be, he I'll says... I'll be lucky if I can get through the exa- first round. <laughs> I don't know if I can walk out onto the court, you know. <laughs> My foot's going to fall off and, you know, I... I you know, this may be my very last time I play at Wimbledon. I mean, he's the master, right, of releasing any kind of expectation on him. Taking yeah, that I mean, pressure. it's probably different for each person because I think Serena Williams is the opposite. She spent her whole career going, I'm the best. Nobody could beat me. If I lose, it's because I didn't play my best. Hmm. Um, and she had all the pressure and went into every match thinking she was always the better player and she managed to rack up 23 Grand Slam titles um, and a whole lot of other records in that time frame with that mindset. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even know if that, if that was it, but if, if it was just, you know, nerves, had she said anything or not. And, and Rybakina truly just kind of getting the feel, take, take and like waking up and taking it to her. Right. But she f- really fell apart in the final, I felt like. Um, like, after the first set, I-, I-, I never really felt like she had chances after the first set. Like, it didn't feel the momentum was just totally against her. And more because she was making so many errors and just mentally it just felt like she had already felt like she was going to lose or something. It w- That's why I was thinking maybe it was the expectation, like... The expect she's like, could I lose? Could I lose? And just that question in her mind seemed to like take so much out of her. That's my guess. I have no idea, really. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. And she has, she's another one who I think travels with a mental coach, and so you, I view her as mentally strong. Um, she seems that way, but yeah, she was really frustrated and letting a lot of emotion out. That I, I mean, I know she's an emotional player. That. And she lets us in frequently, but like yeah. you, you normally don't see her so frustrated and kind of like losing her temper. So I think it, yeah. I mean, the pressure and sometimes like you know when you just want something so bad, yes, it just, yes, you know, makes it harder. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I feel like yeah. wow, she just wanted this so bad, and then to feel it slipping away, it has got to really drain you and just, you know, oh yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to focus then at that moment, right? It's hard to like yeah. just pl- be in the moment and play the point. And if you're yeah. not doing that, there's just it's very hard to win. There's that's so interesting that you talked about the emotions, and it just made me think of Borg McEnroe, you know, and not uh-huh. and just that kind of you know that the ice of Borg and the emotion of McEnroe, and and just how. Um, Rabakina really has that kind of ice, very calm, like super quiet uh, demeanor, and I wish I could be that. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's I was, why I like her I so much. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Don't we all wish we had that kind of composure? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, you know, ninety five percent owns Jabur, <laughs> yelling, yelling for you know really good points, and and like swearing went on really bad points. <laughs> Yeah, that's me. Unfortunately, me too. I think I'm I'm definitely one of those types of people. I don't obviously have a coach or anybody to yell at, so I'm usually yelling at myself. But <laughs> like Nick Kyrgios oh. yelling in the stands. Yeah, <laughs> but just, or how he's like yelling at himself, like. 
40 love. Like I'll do that to myself in my head or out loud, but like I try not to do it too loud. So my opponent doesn't, you know, have a mental edge, but I'm definitely doing it in my head. You know, (laughs) one of my favorite Nick Kyrgios moments is when he served and he's so angry at himself. He, he yells to the crowd, can't buy a first serve. And he's just so angry at himself. And then he serves the second serve and it goes out and the, the guy in the crowd says, can't buy a second serve. <laughs> and Nick Kyrgios <laughs> just laughs. He's just laughing because it was so funny. It was such a great moment. It was awesome. It, very nice uh, tension relief, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it worked as tension tension relief in that moment, but sometimes you never know, you know. Someone oh, yeah. can say something and he can lose his mind. Yeah. Cuz yeah. that that lady that who was apparently had 700 drinks, she was rooting for him the whole match and he still, you know, whatever she was doing was upsetting him. Ah. And he wanted her kicked out even though she she had been like cheering for him the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that what the commentators were saying is accurate. I wasn't there and I didn't hear it, but that's right. what they said. So Right, right. Yeah. And just jumping back to Iga Swiatek, you know, my heart was really broken. And I think what <laughs> poured salt in the wounds was that she lost to Alize Cornet. <laughs> because speaking of emotionally loud and radical players, uh, she has got to be one of the most annoying uh, for all of the other players that play <laughs> against her because she's so big in her emotions, you know, and uh, it's like, wow, that's that's a lot. <laughs> For sure. And I was like eating my words with my foot in my mouth because uh, when I was in France, there was a, a poster when you get out of the subway, there's like this poster, like the French Ope Roland Girls. And uh, it was a Sangha, gosh, maybe Gasquet and... Um, and Cornet. And I told Nick, why do they have Cornet on that poster? Like, <laughs> she does nothing. Like, is that really their best whatever? And then she actually had a really great run at Roland Garros. And then she had a really great one at Wimbledon. And I was like, wow, she sure showed me. Like, I had no faith in her. I totally wrote her off. Like, she was a, I kind of, I, I don't know, like a has been maybe, but you know, she's been on the tour for a really long time. So she really has. I, I mean, I feel like she's like Gasquet worthy, you know, for sure. But anyway, I mean, I, it frustrated me cause I really wanted to see Iga go farther, but I yes. was, I was happy for Cornet to have, have a really good run. And, um, especially since, you know, I, I said that about her and I was like, you know what? Valerie, this is a life lesson. Don't don't say mean things about people, <laughs> people who are professionals and doing stuff like you know way beyond your means. So yeah, at least she at least she's out there fighting every day. <laughs> I would have picked uh, Christina Meldanovich, uh, uh-huh. the French player. I, I like her a lot. Yeah, but she definitely doesn't have the Cornet killer record, and a lot of uh, news was being made about the fact that she had upset Serena. at Wimbledon and this was her uh she was she's like the upset queen you know she could upset world number one Serena and now she can upset uh world number one Iga Swiatek you know in the third Mm -hmm. round yep and it was not uh it was not even close I mean it was six four six two and uh just felt like Swiatek hit a wall or something you know just really 37 straight wins, maybe something in her mind said, hey, I'm going to lose sometime. Maybe this is the time, you know? Yeah, and she said in her press conference, like, she just she just didn't know what to do. 
Hey, let's like, listen to that. Let, let me play that press conference. Uh, what can I say? I mean, I know I didn't play, you know, good tennis. I was pretty confused um, about my tactics. And as a, as a solid player, she used that pretty well. So for sure, it wasn't good performance for me. But um, I'm looking forward to next experiences. John, Game Club Podcast. When you say you were confused about your tactics, what do you mean? Was it what, what threw you? Well, basically, the thing that I changed this season is I started being more and more aggressive, and I was it was really comfortable for me to have the initiative and be proactive. But here, I couldn't control the ball, so I needed to slow down a little bit, and I was kind of pushing the ball, which sometimes was actually okay. And I played like that, you know, since zero three in first, but then in second set, um, yeah, I kind of made few attempts to to speed up again and it didn't work out and I didn't come back to this you know being solid and also you know when you play aggressively and you suddenly change the way you play it's not easy to keep that you know so um yeah so I got a little bit confused but still I the most important thing for me was to put the ball in so at least I wasn't making you know the same amount of mistakes at, than at the beginning Confused by Cornet. Oh, such yeah. a tough one. Such a tough one. Cornet, the great confuser. <laughs> um, actually, I think like Cornet, when she beat Serena, it might have been on the court of death or I think that's what they called it. So when I did the tour, they were showing us, I think it's like court 18 maybe. And oh, no, no, no. Court 18 was the John Isner Mahout one. It was, it was another oh, nice. court. Oh, nice. Court two, maybe. I, I know where it's at, like where we were standing when they were pointing at it, but I can't remember the which court it was. But they said they actually redid it, and all the players were really happy because it was like the one where all the upsets happened. So they were so glad that it was gone. Well, the, the Alize Iga Swiatek was on court number one, but uh, I guess I can look really quick and see. I, maybe they like, called it like the graveyard or something like that. But yeah, it was supposed to, like all the players were happy <laughs> that it wasn't there anymore. But I guess, it, you know, they just make another court, the graveyard. That's really interesting, though. I didn't know that there was that feeling from the players, you know? Oh, it says the old number two court. Oh, okay. Interesting. In, informally referred to as the graveyard of champions until it was renumbered as the number three court in the 2009 championships. Wow. So it seems like Cornet can just turn it on because against Serena, she won. Serena was won the first set 6-1, and then Cornet won the next two sets 6-3, 6-4. So very similar in the scoreline uh, where it just seems like something clicks and she can just make it happen. You know, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm just, you know, I wasn't paying good enough attention years ago but she looks so fit mm. cornet cornet's like ripped she it has she just looks so defined and so fit and healthy and i feel like when players just look like that it's that's another level of intimidation like i can go all day long well, and she is 32 years old, Cornet. So, I mean, to be that fit and 
uh, that strong and to have that kind of win. I think she was actually talking about retiring as this being like her last year of playing, but now she's like postponing because she feels like she's on a roll. Yes, I thought I heard that too, that she was thinking next year's French was going to be the end. Right, right. Very we shall cool. see. Yeah. But yeah, there's another, uh, like I feel like some of the players do this. This is like kind of random, and I hope this isn't a worse segue, but uh, Simona Halep also, I feel like, looks like super ripped these days. Yeah, she Like does. where she used super to just kind of look um, a little soft. Right. Um, and now she just looks so strong. Um, it's it's cool. I love when I see players just kind of make. Right. And I do feel like for Simona or Alize, those are the weapons, right? The physical agility, the ability to run the ball down. Those are the weapons for that person. I mean, Sal- Halep is definitely a great player. She can move the ball around so well, but not like a crazy weapon like Rabakina's serve, you know? So that's a great way to bring it back around because that's, I, I really felt like the Simona Halep match in the semifinals with Rabakina was the one that like made me really excited and remember I was texting you I was saying yeah I'm really hoping Rabakina wins the final (laughs) because I just was shocked at how well she played uh, against Simona Halep I mean it was straight set 6-3 6-3 she blew her off the court she was just on fire it was incredible I was so shocked. I was sure that Simona Halep was going to give a really good match or beat her. Like, put her in her place. Like, here you go, little girl. Right. I'm the champion here. Right. And also, it's felt so... um, Simona Halep was having her own beautiful journey of, like, she never got to go and play the year after she won and have the ceremonial, you know, like being the first one on court at one o'clock or whatever they do. Um, That tradition she didn't get because of the pandemic. And then she was injured. And then this year like was an opening and they didn't choose her. They chose Iga and it just felt so ouch. Yeah. It felt so like, I don't know, like she never got that moment. And so I was really rooting hard for her because I wanted her to like earn the moment back and be like, now I get to come back next year and have that moment. Yeah. But then when she lost, like, I was very shocked she lost to Rybakina. But when she did, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, Rybakina's no joke. She, she's a uh, Rybakina. You know what's so funny? I, they, I always heard everybody say Rybakina back in the, you know, years ago. <laughs> and now everyone says Rybakina, and I'm still, like, you know, going back in my uh, Kina days and, instead of my Baka days. <laughs> I know. I actually Googled it to hear like Russian people say it. And it's it's like a it's a kind of a mix of the two. Like they just say it in a more Russian way. I can't say it right. But it does sound like when I saw um, Elena uh, talk about playing at Indian Wells that she does say Rabakina. But it's kind of like Rabakina, Rabakina. So it's almost like both, you know, they they. Definitely, um, like, Sharapova is not Sharapova, it's Sharapova. And, like, so they always put the, um, it's Medvedev, it's not Medvedev. Right. They put the accent on that second syllable always, but sometimes, you know, we just say it however we want. (laughs) 
I still say Djokovic's name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Slam champion number 21, and I still can't get his name right. Oh, we're, no. we're learning. I do feel like I learn a lot about the world because of tennis. You know, it's so international, right? That's kind of cool. Well, let's let's do a little deep dive into Rabakina's amazing journey. I, I think I want to even go back to who she is as a person. And I felt like it was really important for me to just like start understanding this, who this girl is, because sadly I was, she was not on the radar for me until the semifinals. And yet, and yet she beat like Coco Vandaway. She beat Bianca Andrescu on grass, which is big to me. Right. And I, I wasn't even aware of that match. I wasn't even, it wasn't on my radar, you know? And also, now that I think about it, she beat Serena at the French Open. She was the one who took her out last year. Yeah, she's uh, she's had a few pretty decent, you know, results the past couple of years. I mean, she I I didn't expect her to win Wimbledon, but I definitely knew her name, knew her game, and was aware that she was, you know, lurking out there. Yeah, I don't think anyone expected her to win Wimbledon. That's why I was so happy that she did. And I, I felt like, to me, I loved her tennis, like the way she hit the ball, how early she hit. And it just had that feeling of um, Sabalenka, uh, Anna Samova, you know, all of these really clean hitters that have come along and yet haven't gotten to the level that she's gotten. And maybe it was just the draw and what had happened in Wimbledon. We'll, we'll see. But actually, Rabakina has done really well up through COVID. And I think she was like the finalist in four tournaments right before COVID uh, was brought down. So she was really starting to make her move and starting to build a name for herself. And yet, you know, still was not on my radar. You know, like, where was I? <laughs> yeah, and I think she, I don't remember who, but she, I think she had a really good win over someone at Wimbledon last year. And then she took a set from Sabalenka in the round of 16. And she, yes. And kind of made it a match, but then ultimately lost. But I, I can't remember who she beat before that. Um, was it, was it, it Muguruza? Muguruza? Oh, maybe. I just, I just feel like, um, you know, it wasn't like a Andreescu who came or a Raducanu who came out of nowhere. Um, I felt like she was a, a bit on my radar, but again, it was, it was definitely like I thought, okay, in like two years, I'll see her win something. Right. Um, I didn't expect it to be so soon, but it was right. super cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. So she lost in the finals. She, I should say, she made it to the finals of Shenzhen, the Shenzhen Open in China, St. Petersburg, uh, and Dubai. And she had more than 20 main draw match wins uh, before COVID hit and the suspension. So she was on a roll. She was really taking people out. And right before COVID, her ranking you know, was up to number 17. So literally that was 2020. So when they were talking about her ranking being 20, uh, 17 at Wimbledon, that was because that's what it was in 2020, two years ago. And it had not changed since. Isn't that crazy? That is. It really makes me angry about ranking and this whole ranking thing because I, I, I feel like I can't really trust it that much, you know? So you, it sounds like, oh, Ons Jabeur is number two, Rabakina is number 17. Oh, Ons Jabeur should easily win. But 
I, I don't think it told us the whole story, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely just the rankings the past couple of years have been a bit misleading because of the freeze. And then, you know, this tournament is going to screw it all up again. <laughs> we're, we've, we've learned all these names of people who had deep runs and they're all going to show up at 68 you know in the draw <laughs> next week and we're going to be like what <laughs> her, her 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 ranking actually goes down after wimbledon yeah, Rabikina, okay. which yeah. is the stupidest thing it's like i won wimbledon my ranking goes down a lot of people, as, did I remember Djokovic correctly, too. Djokovic lost his number one because yeah. he's losing 2,000 points or whatever. It's like, yeah, kind of crazy. I don't know. I feel like if you're going to, I get it. I get the ATP taking ranking points away. I'm I'm not a person who has a problem with that. I'm okay with it. Yeah. But like, can they not just freeze last year's Wimbledon the same way they did with COVID? Right. Right, so that the, at least people who, like, don't make everyone just lose the points. That really sucks. <laughs> well, one of the things that really caught my eye or my ear was when Rabakina was talking in a press conference at Wimbledon, and they asked her, well, you know, do you think you proved anything being here at Wimbledon? And she said well, something that I love. She said that I think I proved that you, if you have a great team, you don't have to have played tennis all of your life from a very young age because I didn't really start playing tennis until I was 17, 18. And she, what, what she meant is that she wasn't like professional until 17, 18. So let's listen to this. Um, I really enjoy this. Congratulations, Lena. Um, Alex, my first influence of the um, You said that um, you didn't get a professional team around you until you were 17. Um, but we all know that in this sport, there are kids even younger than that who do have very a lot of money and a lot of teams around them. So how do you develop the self-belief in your late teens to compete with them, to know you're as good as them? Uh, I think it's, uh, of course, because of my parents. They always believed in me and they believed just first, uh, they wanted me to play and have fun on the court, uh, which I always had. And after when it was tough moments, they always believed in me. And uh, I was lucky because when I was young, I had a very nice uh, group of players and we were all competitive. And uh, it was always competition, uh, friends around. So it was um, best time, I think. Um, so I don't know. So I love how she talks about just believing in herself, you know, and, and uh, there was another interview where she was talking about her coach um, and how she said to her coach that she really wants to be world number one. And I don't know, maybe every professional tennis player says that to their coach, <laughs> but just the fact that she, you know, could say that um, and just really like believe it in her heart is so cool especially since she, she seems so calm and quiet and doesn't seem like she has drive but i love that the drive is like so internal and so deep you know yes i'm i'm definitely because i'm not that way probably like you like it's very intriguing and i'm drawn to that type of mysterious like demeanor and attitude where it looks it looks just so like I loved her celebration when she won. I was it's my absolute You mean lack favorite. of celebration. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like it was a celebration. She 
gave a look like, yeah, I won. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. It was like, well, oh, my gosh. It was like, yeah, I just won the first round of, uh, you know, somewhat <laughs> – low level event it was it was the best because i just felt it just felt so like um it was so baller like (laughs) (laughs) but i also like i love that about her attitude that she is so um just matter of fact and all she keeps it all in it's it's super cool because most people aren't that way and, and they can't be that way and i think one of the reasons, like, I believed she would be, I actually won a dollar, I bet my friend, I was like, Rebekina's um, Bacchina is gonna, <laughs> is gonna win, and I bet a dollar, and I won my dollar, um, and I was very happy, but I felt that way, because she just looks like she has nerves of steel, you know, yes. like, that type of demeanor you just you trust them in those tough moments because they're not going to have like an emotional breakdown yes yes well Rebecca's coach uh stefano volkov said the exact same thing and i wish i could find the audio of him actually saying it but i can at least read it um he said that he knew she would one day win a grand slam and his quote is that I was 100% sure she could win one. She was calm in the big moments. I saw that she has this gift. Everybody feels the nerves, but she's very clutch player. And she showed me from the very first tournament she ever played, when the scores are getting close, she was always the one coming out of these close contests. Isn't that cool? Yes. And I've, I've totally felt that, you know. Yeah, that she was really clutch, that she could like hunker down even though she was so nervous and just focus, right? And and on that second set and just make it hers and just stay super calm. It was just crazy how good she was in that way. I think that's why I was so excited about her. Yes. Um, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, and she, and so this is uh, her only her second coach. You know how everybody's in this like rotation of coaches and stuff. I guess uh, her first coach was Chesnikov. Yes, thank you. Andre Chesnikov was her first coach, and I think she learned a lot. But what I read was that once um, Stefano started coaching her and traveling with her to go going to tournaments and being with her that's when she really started making big inroads and that her game improved a lot and there's a really cool video of them two practicing at indian wells from 2020 and they're both mic'd up and they're talking to each other and he's coaching her and stuff that i really enjoyed and that's how i heard her say her name but I encourage you, if you want to learn more about Rabakina, this that video kind of shows you a little bit a bit about her. Really cool. So uh, when Volkov took over in 2019, she was ranked like in the 200s. Uh, but he said that she had big dreams and big goals. Uh, the quote is: "She came to me and said, I want to be number one in the world.'" He recalls. I was like, okay, take it easy a little bit. See if you can win an ITF. And she wins two straight tournaments in a row just to prove me wrong. I kind of saw that little competition between me and her, that it was working. I was trying to say, you can't do it. And she's like, watch me. I can do it. (laughs) I love that, right? Nice, yes. 
you know, to me, it's kind of a fulfillment of uh, Pliskova because you know how I like Pliskova, right? <laughs> and I just felt like, oh, this is, you know, this is like the fulfillment of Pliskova because Pliskova was really that kind of big serve bomb player, but she just didn't have the movement that Rebecca had, right? She couldn't chase those balls. She did have a forehand. Wow. Her forehand was amazing. So love the serve technique, love the forehand technique, but she didn't have the movement. And because of that, she's always behind the ball, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, maybe another really good comparison is Petra Kvitova because Kvitova also is six feet. Uh, Rabakina is Rabakina is six feet as well. Both really tall players. And um, I think uh, Rabakina is also one of the youngest champions of Wimbledon since uh, Kvitova in 2011 at 23 years old. Yeah, Kvitova was another one I was hoping would make a nice little run. This year, right? Yeah, she got snuffed out. Yeah, she she looked really strong, and she had won uh, the grass tournament right before. Was it Queens? Yeah, um, so. that was that was good, good stuff. <laughs> so it was super cool to just see someone, and I, 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 of course, she still has to work on her movement. She could be faster, right? It's tough against someone like a. Like Iga Swiatek, who is just Ricky Race around the court. She's there before the ball gets there, you know. Mm-hmm. Just kind of amazing how fast she is, and so uh, it would be really cool if she could improve her movement. But you feel like that's only upside, right? For sure. I mean, I I do really hope that she'll continue to be around and be a force, you know, um, and stays healthy because I think. Bianca Andreescu is someone who we would be having all these conversations about if she wasn't injured all the time. Yeah. Um, And Osaka, you know, there's there's been like players, they come and they get us all excited and then, you know, life happens and athlete life of injuries happens and and then they go away and and we don't get the excitement again. Hey, I, I do a, hope she can. Speaking about being like a super confident and yet nervous person, she actually talked a lot about how nervous she was in playing. And there's a great quote that I want to play for you here. Yes, uh, I was super nervous yesterday. I had a good practice, but in the evening, I already started to feel like I'm too nervous. And in the morning also, but uh, I was just trying to tell myself that... Uh, it's a match and I already had experience where, I mean, for me, the worst thing, and of course, if you are up and then you lose the match. And uh, unfortunately, I had many matches like this, so maybe it helped me a bit. And uh, I was trying to convince myself that uh, uh, it's uh, it might happen again. And... Uh, uh, hopefully it's not the last time I, I'm in the final, not the first and not the last. And uh, I already did a great job with, with my team. So with this kind of words, I was trying to calm, me, uh, calm myself down. Were you saying that during the match to yourself? Yes, during the match, of course, uh, because I didn't start well. And after I was just... Uh, 
uh, trying to tell these things to myself and then uh, I just focused completely on the match and what I had to do because once she played really, I mean, she played unbelievable and she's very tough opponent with all the drop shots and everything. So uh, after I just moved completely to the match and, and was focused uh, point by point. So I like how she talks about how her team is really giving her confidence and um, you know, that she feels like she's doing a great job because of her team. And that's really cool that she has that support structure. She doesn't feel alone that she's really doing it together, you know? Um, I love that about some of the, a lot of the tennis players these days. They, They are, like even Iga has like team Iga on her shoes instead of, you know, just Iga, like some of the other players. Um who don't have their team acknowledged. So it's, I think that's a really cool thing to see, like a, a nice trend in, a, in the right direction. Yeah, that is really nice. I think that... You As talk a coach, a- I'm sure that you could really appreciate. <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm the one that uh, told you to <laughs> pe- pester her backhand. Well, I mean, if you're if you're uh, Rabakina's coach, you're you're the happiest guy in the whole world right now, right? Oh yeah. Well, one interesting note of drama we keep talking about Iga and uh, Rabakina, and actually in the juniors they kind of came up together, um, and they had actually played against each other, and Rabakina actually beat uh, Iga in the juniors actually won a title uh, when they were young. So just just knowing, I, I'm sure that Iga has improved tremendously since then. We've seen it, right? But it's just interesting that that's probably going to be like a check mark in Iga's mind. Like, what does this now mean, you know? Yeah. Well, Is, I mean, I, I just can't wait to see what she does when she gets back on like a hard court. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about her personal life because that's kind of fun too. So I've been following her on Instagram and I encourage you guys to do it at, uh, she actually calls herself Lena, I guess, on Instagram, Lena Rabakina. And so it's Lena Rabakina at Instagram. And you're going to love this, Valerie. She loves dogs. Yes. And I love to know that she encourages people to adopt from rescues. Exactly. Because lots of people love dogs and still go to breeders. And I, I'm not saying that in a judgy way because, you know, I've, I've been there. <laughs> I, have, I have done my, my fair share of mistakes in the past. But I, I think it's really cool when people support that and, and put it out there. Because obviously that's, that's where I'm at now. Now that I'm older, mature, more mature, and I, I know the errors of my ways. <laughs> And so that's so cool. Did you did uh, your notes say she has a beagle? Right, she has a beagle. And uh, let's see, I got the name too. Did you catch that? Amulia. The beagle's name is Mulia. Oh, I know. <laughs> How sweet! I I heard. I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and they were saying that she had her big celebration at in Kazakhstan um, when she got back. Yeah. And I guess they gave her a dog. Oh, that's right. She has a picture of a little puppy that she is holding in in press. That's right. Yeah. So I guess she got. She now has a second dog. <laughs> uh, I think it's so funny that uh, like if you scroll, she already has 
223,000 followers on Instagram now. But it's a very, it's actually a very short Instagram that she hasn't been really using that much. So if you scroll all the way down, you see a ton of pictures of her being like 12 or 14 or like just a kid. So you really get the feeling like, wow, she is just a kid. I mean, she's 23, so obviously a woman now, but you, you really see the progression of her growth and really three or four uh, scrolls down and you see her and her friends being just like, you know, kids hanging out, uh, funny pictures, kind of grainy. <laughs> her, nice. her with her dog and her. They're her. all on, on, on the original iPhones. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're, you know, it's so funny. So uh, I encourage you guys to check it out because it's so endearing. Uh, I mean, her first picture was... October 17th, 2012. And it probably took me four or five scrolls to get down to the very first picture from 2012. So, you know, she's just a cute little girl uh, with ponytails. <laughs> what a story. So what a story. And just knowing that she's this quiet, shy, calm girl that has this crazy determination, right? It just makes me feel like, oh, I, I coach kids and there are so many kids that are like her that, you know, really are willing to bet on themselves, but they just don't show it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just love the fact that we can encourage them and, and help them to fulfill their dream, whatever their dream is. You know, maybe it's a Wimbledon champion or maybe it's just, you know, being the best dog owner ever. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's being a best skateboarder or running a nonprofit, whatever it is, you know? For sure. Actually, when I was playing with a young gentleman today at the park, his name was Ethan. Shout out to Ethan. No. Um, who doesn't listen, but <laughs> yet. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Good answer. Um, I, he's 12, and I was like, so do you like, do you love uh, tennis, or do you? is it just a hobby? Because I wanted to be like, do you want to be pro? Um, but he was like, it's just a hobby. And I was like, that's cool, you know. Um it's cool no matter what level of passion or craziness you have for tennis. If you play it, if you support it, if you love it, um, I want to be your friend. Well, I, and that's just like Elena. I mean, she you know, grew up in Moscow, and she loves sports. She loves gymnastics and ice skating. And the story is that she was actually told by coaches that she couldn't be a gymnast or an ice skater because she was just too tall. So she was really bummed about that, and her father said, well, maybe you should try tennis because her father really liked tennis and enjoyed playing. And so that's when she started playing. I think she was 14 when she started playing tennis, and that's why she talked about you know, being so old and starting. So she entered ITF at 14 years of age. So you know, it wasn't like training since you're three, you know? kind of like Ethan, right? I mean, that's kind of crazy that she started so late. She must just have incredible hand skills and just picked it up so quickly. And then she won, as her coach said, she won her first and second tournament that she ever played in. Nice. Crazy. That's just, yeah, it's a really cool story. Yeah. I hope we get more of her. Me too. I can't wait to see more about 
you know, how she's going to play. And, and I'm just so uh, intrigued by uh, her coach's technique and style because her the way she plays is just amazing, don't you think? The way she hits the ball. Yes. I mean, her backhands. And she not only hits the ball hard like a lot of the other players, but like she has these crazy angles as well and just makes the other opponent just corner to corner, you know, like an Andre Agassi. Yes, oh, you're just getting me so excited for the U- the U.S. <laughs> Open ser- like hard court series as we're approaching August, September, the best time of year for a U.S. tennis fan. <laughs> it's going to be great. Well, gosh, thanks everyone for listening. I, I hope you learned something about uh, Elena Rabakina, uh, and I'm a fan now, super excited. And who knows, right? I mean, uh, a lot of times these one-off players will win uh, a title and, and fall away for a while. Uh, but yeah, I just am super excited to see what could happen in her career. And And I do feel like she's someone who can handle the pressure, right? Like... Uh, other players have won a Grand Slam title and have really fallen off because of the pressure, and she seems like maybe she can. Yeah, I mean, she does, but I think there's a lot to to be said about um, coming up kind of as a dark horse or just unnoticed, and then the pressures of of backing it up. Yes. I feel like we do see a lot of people come up and do it once and then all of a sudden, you know, every press or every tournament after that, the press, the demands of press and sponsorship and just everything, you know, can weigh on a player. A.K.A. Raducanu. (laughs) Yeah, Raducanu or I feel like even Osako, you know, things changed when she really, really blew up and to be a lot more mentally tough. um, Yeah. She's like the poster child of that pressure, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I just I feel like there's something to be said about when no one expects you to do stuff, um, how freeing that can kind of be. Um, and then when all of a sudden pressure is on you, I, I still believe in her. I think she'll do great things, but I, I, don't, I don't think like she's going to necessarily fall apart, but I just think like it's really hard to have like an Ash Barty or an Iga Svantec type of reaction to becoming a champion or becoming world number one and then just like dominating. Yeah. Yeah. And it really makes me miss Ash because in doing my research, I did watch where, um, Rebecca actually made it to the finals against Ash. I think it was Adelaide and, uh, wow. Ash party just destroyed her. <laughs> I mean, Ash was just so good at moving her around and, and the variety and the style and her serve was so much stronger than Ons Jabur, you know, just had a nice, powerful serve and yeah, I miss Ash Barty. I wish I could see her play more. Yeah. I mean, I, I missed her and then we had Iga and I didn't miss her. And uh, then we had Wimbledon, and I missed her. <laughs> but if I feel like if Ega can get back in form on the hard court, I'll, um, I won't feel as bad again. I'll right, right. Just see that, especially if we get Osaka back, and if we get Andreescu back healthy. Like, oh, please just sign me up for all of it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and just knowing that there's a little bit of history, Rebecca and Iga Swiatek. Oh, 
can't wait to see that match co- come together. Yes, for sure. I'll take it all. <laughs> well, uh, as crazy as tennis is right now, at least we did have some semblance of fun at Wimbledon. I really enjoyed the women's side uh, a ton. And and even the men's uh, side, I, I enjoyed watching the matches and, and the highlights as well. Um, I, I'm so sad to that Rafa got injured and we'll have to see what's going to happen with him, right? Yeah, that was super bummer because he's finally the foot's you know, the treatment works and then he's playing good and everything looks like we're going to get this blockbuster semi with Nick. And then, I mean, I thought Nadal would beat him and we'd get our Djokovic Nadal final. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, now it's the stomach. It just sucks if it's not one thing, it's another, but, um, Hopefully he's hopefully he's good to go by the hardcore because that will make the U.S. Open so much fun. Now that Djokovic is at twenty-one, yeah, just like the plot thickens. <laughs> it does. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us for Tennis Pal Chronicles. Thanks, Valerie. This is a lot of fun catching up. Thanks for uh, thanks for texting me and saying let's do this. Let's. I always want to talk about tennis. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and uh, I do have some really cool news. Um, we finished our Conga Sports giveaway, and um, play uh, tennis player Mary won the new Head Radical uh, racket that we're giving away. So we're actually waiting for Head to ship the racket to me so I can present it to her, and I'll take a picture and put it up on the blog. But she's a brand-new tennis player just starting to learn how to play, and so how cool to start with a beautiful racket from Head. Oh. Oh, that's awesome. I love this story, Mary. <laughs> super, super cool. And hopefully we'll be doing some more giveaways in the future. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we just hope that you'll tell your friends about Tennis Pal Chronicles if you enjoy it. Uh, make sure you visit lovesetmatch.net, which is where we post all the show notes and the blog. And you can also find out about tennis in here in Southern California. Visit our really good friends, Tennis Pal, at TennisPal.com. Download the app and find awesome people to play with, just like Valerie can. Yes. They're out there. They're just waiting for you to send them a message 14 times, and then they'll meet you. No. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not always that many. It's usually like two. <laughs> hey, I'd like to play this weekend. Great. Let me know. Hey, uh, does tomorrow at 8 work? Okay. <laughs> Super. There's also a coaching element as well. You can actually get your um, tennis game looked at by Tennis Pal coaches. That's kind of cool. And visit uh, Tennis Pal on Instagram because they have a lot of, they repost a lot of coaching videos on Tennis Pal coaches on Instagram. And that's really helpful. So I really enjoy that as well. Nice. And if you do like us, uh, leave us a review, please. Yes, please, especially on Apple Podcasts. That would be great. We're actually at five stars, Valerie. We have five stars uh, of all of our reviews, which is, of course, all our friends. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Well, thanks again for listening, everyone, and may all your serves be Aces. aces.